0: Hey folks, welcome back to the Electables. Uh, this is Doug Thornell. I'm with my partner in crime, Adrian Elrod. Elrod, what's going on?
1: Hey, hey, hey.
0: So, uh, we, we have a special guest today, Reggie Love. He'll be joining us shortly. But uh, before we get going, I just wanted to get your thoughts, Adrian, on we've got a big debate in Nevada coming up in um, a couple days. W- what are you looking for in that debate?
1: Well, first and foremost, um, assuming Mike Bloomberg gets on the debate stage, I'm looking to see how candidates handle him, react to him, um, what they, um, you know, sort of their strategy and how they handle him being on that stage. You know, I think the um, knee-jerk reaction by a lot of moderates, Amy Klobuchar, um, Joe Biden, Pete Buttigieg, is probably to pile on Bloomberg, right, to... You know, sort of give him a happy unwelcome to the debate stage and let him, you know, r- remind him what it's like to be a candidate um, instead of just hiding behind those paid media ads. But theoretically, that's not the best tack to take if you are hoping that a moderate ultimately wins because Bernie Sanders could easily come out of that debate the winner If he's the one who is not under attack, if I'm Bernie Sanders campaign, I'm thinking that's probably what's going to happen. All the moderates are going to pile on top of Michael Bloomberg and he's going to be defending himself the entire time. um, And I'm going to be left alone and I can just talk about my message and, you know, my, my support for Medicare for all and, you know, all the other policies that he tends to talk about on the debate stage. Um, So I'm looking to sort of see how the moderates handle that dynamic.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. Um, It was something that I think Republicans struggled with, with Trump in 2016 in the debates. Um, You had Chris Christie going up against Marco Rubio, and you had the alternatives to Trump taking each other out, and no one really bothered to spend a whole lot of time going after Trump, and he made his way, obviously, through to the nomination to the White House. And I just wonder if Democrats, you know, in that moderate lane, in the you know, they're all progressives. I think we should dispel the notion that these that that these Democrats yes. aren't. They're all progressives. They are.
1: Some are just more progressive than others.
0: Right. Um, but I think you know. So I, I, I actually, but I do think who is going to, um, you know, uh, uh, the of the folks in that center lane, who you know, they're going to have to dis- distinguish themselves from each other. But I do think that you will see a more aggressive case that they will make against uh, Bernie Sanders, because he is right now the, you know, I think pretty clear front runner for the nomination. If you look at most of the polls, if you look at the outcomes of the first two contests, and uh, you would just expect that he would have to face the same level of scrutiny that the other front runners have faced in this campaign, whether it's Biden, whether it was Warren, whether it's Pete Buttigieg. You know they've all gone through their moment in the in the you know in the you know in the cycle, and um, you know I, I'm I'm sort of waiting for that um, to uh, for Sanders and see how Sanders and his team handles it.
1: Yeah, me too, me too. It's going to be fascinating, and you know, look, we we keep talking about Mike Bloomberg being on that debate stage. Um, there's a chance he's not. You know, I assume that there's going to be a trio of polls that come out tomorrow um, that show that he is. I know a lot of... And Doug, this is probably more in your wheelhouse than mine, but... I know a lot of pollsters don't like to poll on Valentine's Day because they say people aren't home like traditionally. Traditional people who are home on Friday nights or on Valentine's Day are not home on Valentine's Day. So a lot of the polling that will qualify candidates or the remaining remaining candidates for this debate um, went into the field on Saturday and will come out of the field today. And will um, the re- result, results will be shown tomorrow. But um. Yeah, I have to think that we will have an answer probably first thing in the morning. Um, from some polls, but you know he has until midnight tomorrow night, Tuesday night to qualify.
0: There really hasn't. You, you. I think you hit on it. Um, there haven't been a lot of Nevada and South Carolina polls over the like since New Hampshire. There was a Review Journal poll that just came out, uh, but that came out on Friday. And that had Sanders twenty five, Biden eighteen, uh, Warren thirteen, Steyer, eleven. There was a South Carolina, East there was an East Carolina U poll for South Carolina that had Biden up twenty eight, Sanders twenty, Steyer fourteen. And then there was you know a slew of Texas and Georgia polls. Um, but you know if you look at Real Clear Politics, um, <laughs> I mean, there's really there there those are the two only two polls that have occurred since New Hampshire. So. If you're Tom Steyer, uh, we met, we interviewed the ma- uh, Heather Hargreaves, his manager. Mm-hmm. If you're, you know, if you're Michael Bloomberg, you're, you know, you're hoping that there is a slew of polls that come out tomorrow because right now there hasn't been much. Um, so uh, I think we're going to give a call to Reggie Love, get him on the line. Uh, Reggie is uh, a huge. Uh, Pete Buttigieg supporter and surrogate. Um, Let's get him on the line. Sorry about that, guys. No problem. Hey,
1: no problem, Reggie. Welcome to the Electables podcast. We're so happy to have you.
2: No,
0: thank you for having me.
2: Um, um, Where are you guys in
0: the world? We're in D.C. right now. We're uh, in my office, SKDK.
1: On President's Day, because we're so... You committed know, to such, our podcast. Yes, we have such exciting lives that we're working on on President's Day. But so are you. You're obviously working too.
2: Look, man. There's a, there's not a more important time for the country than right now. So
1: exactly. So Reggie. So you are a, an all star surrogate for Mayor Pete Buttigieg's presidential campaign. Can you just share with us, first of all, where are you? Are you in South Carolina?
2: Right now. I'm technically in Florida but I'm headed to Nevada in the middle of the week. A buddy of mine is playing at the Delray Rey Open. Oh, um sweet. and he's a 21-year-old 80th ranked tennis player in the world. Nice. Francis nice. Tiafoe. Oh yeah. Yeah, great guy. Great kid. I mean he's a kid actually, but like he's a
0: He's from Mar- he's from Maryland, right?
2: Yeah, he's from Maryland. Yeah, Prince yeah. George's County. Well, right? technically, he is, you know, he was, his, uh, you know, he grew up in Maryland. Um, but uh, I don't know if you know the story, but it's crazy. Like, his um, dad was, like, a janitor at the Maryland Tennis Academy. And, that, like, that's, like, how he, like grew up that's how we grew up learning the game yep um, and it's parents were immigrants from Africa
0: well I'm a Marylander so I'm gonna claim them nice <laughs> I you know claim it, man. yeah I know uh, I, I, we probably don't want to go down the road of a Duke Maryland conversation right now but um... <laughs> <laughs> look
2: man you guys took the money uh, and... that's true
0: that's true I miss the rivalry <laughs> I really do I wish they bring it back yeah. but I don't think it's ever gonna happen
2: um, I mean if I were you i would I would say that you probably are hating these big ten butt whoopings and football you guys are getting, but basketball <laughs> seems to be doing all right right
0: now, yeah, yeah big win against michigan state twenty one and four um but let's get into the heart of why you're on here, and that is to uh talk about mayor Pete's campaign and for background on on Reggie Reggie was uh he started out as you know um uh uh on Barack Obama's Senate staff as a staff assistant. And then he served many roles in uh, Obama's, uh, administration His during uh, the president Obama's first presidential run. Um, Reggie served as special assistant and personal aid. Uh, he was sort of, uh, omnipresent, uh, during the 2008 campaign. And then certainly during the <laughs> first term of the administration, he was always by the president's side, um, a key, uh, advisor, um, and now is uh, and now is lending that uh, support to uh, Mayor Pete on a volunteer basis, right? You're not. You're. Are you? Are yeah. You, yeah. Okay. I'm
2: not paid by the campaign, correct. Right? I'm a yep.
0: volunteer. So, Reggie, I want to start. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go for it. So, uh, I you know what we like to do on this show is break down some of the things that happen on campaigns that a lot of people don't know about, and so. Um, your, your title, uh, or your, your the the um, you know the the role you had for Obama in the campaign, it's commonly referred to as the body guy, the person who's like next to the candidate who's just sort of always there. Can you just tell our listeners what does that mean? What does that role entail? What is your how does your day start? Um, what you know? What were some of the interesting things that happened with you and Obama on the trail?
2: Yeah, I mean, look, I think uh, the the general role, uh, you know, some people call it body guy, some people call it chief of stuff, um, <laughs> but ultimately uh, the idea is to give, be the person that gives the candidate uh, or the principal more leverage. So what are the things that you can do effectively that allows him to, he or she, to be able to To spend more time, you know, pushing out message, asking for support, fundraising, uh, managing staff, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, it's everything from making sure that, you know, he eats three meals a day to making sure that he's had a chance to review uh, or make edits to a speech, uh, making sure the teleprompter operator. Uh, knows the difference between, you know, a change of uh, pace and cadence and a rift uh, while they're uh, <laughs> operating the teleprompter. I mean, uh, I think even as, you know, as president, I think there were times I like coach, like, you know, Sasha's basketball team, right? Like, awesome. you name it. <laughs> like, it's just sort of you do whatever is needed in order to 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 to, to help the schedule move along, um, and. Actually, during the campaign, one of the things that I did because um, photos were a big thing, everyone wanted to take a picture, so I would carry a camera. I was like, I was like the official photographer for the campaign. I uh, took almost like twenty five thousand photos uh, over, across the uh, throughout the, the campaign. So, you know, it's just like whatever it takes is really how I look uh, as the, the the job is defined.
1: So, Reggie, you um, endorsed uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg's candidacy um, a couple months ago, along with two other prominent Obama administration alumni, uh, Linda Douglas and Austin Goolsby. Can you talk a little bit about why you decided to go with Mayor Pete? I mean, you know, your former boss's VP is running for president. Why not him? Um, you know, talk a little bit about your decision and, and why you thought Mayor Pete was the best person for you to back.
2: I mean, look. I think it's less about me, um, and I think it's more about the country and where the country is right now. Um, You know, if you look at um, the slate of candidates, and I think Joe Biden, who's been a great public servant and has done, you know, uh, you know, has done a really good job uh, as vice president, as U.S. senator, um, I kind of felt when you look at the field uh, and you think about pattern recognition and you think about how Democrats have been able to win in the past, when you look at people like Barack Obama, uh, Jimmy Carter, Bill Clinton, uh, when Democrats perform well, uh, we usually, you know, have someone that is a little bit younger, a little uh, bit not, D.C. ingrained or hasn't spent a lot of time in D.C. sort of has that outsider point of view and people who have been, you know, very uh, entrenched in local uh, politics and know what it's like to be on the ground. Um, And so, you know, I think as Democrats, we struggle um, we have people that are a little more institutionalized, like the Al Gore's, the Hillary Clinton, the John Kerry. Mm-hmm. And mainly when you look at sort of the voting population, like when you look at the Obama campaign in 2008, what, uh, what Barack Obama was able to do was to, to get people who were not only, uh, moderate and in the middle of the road, uh, or, you know, or Republicans that had turned over, turned to being Democrats. What, he was also able to do was get people to participate in the political process to get people to believe that there was something bigger they were part of something that's bigger than themselves uh and if you compare 2008 to 2016 2008 um from 2008 to 2016 the voting age the voting eligible population that has increased increased almost 15 million people but of that voting Eligible population only four million of those new fifteen million voters actually have partake actually partook in the political process in twenty sixteen, and what is going to get people inspired is going to get you got to get someone that people can identify with and that people think and feel like they know uh, what it's like to to have real pain that like real Americans have. And I think Pete speaks to that, you know, as a guy who, you know, isn't a millionaire, you know, has had to pay student loans, has spent time on the ground working with real people in South Bend um, and is in touch with that. And I think his policies um, also are aligned with that when you look at uh, how he sees, you know, Medicare for all who want it, the Douglas plan. Um, And so for me, it was a no-brainer. Like, if we want to get uh, a new... Uh, generation of people who have feel who have felt like they've been uh, disenfranchised to participate in the process they've got to be a part of a movement and I think uh, mayor Pete's the only one only candidate out on the stage right now who can create a movement and also get moderates
1: Yeah. And Reggie, you know, he, Mayor Pete is oftentimes compared to Barack Obama in terms of being an inspirational force, um, a great orator, a great messenger. I have a really good friend from, um, from Arkansas, actually, who went to Oxford with him when he was over there as a Rhodes Scholar. And, said, you know, even back then when he was probably 22, 23 years old, he had this special gift that among a class of, you know, a lot of smart, smart students, he stood out in that class. So um, I think you're right. People want a movement. I mean, um, sure, we want to beat Trump, but I think a lot of voters out there are saying, hey, we could beat Trump with somebody who's actually like, you know, really inspirational and sort of represents that next generation change um, that the Democratic Party is looking for.
2: Yeah. I mean, if you look at the the average age of our representation in government right now is like 64. And the median age in the U.S. is 38. So like <laughs> people, the people who represent us don't actually know what most of Americans are going through.
0: Uh, Reggie, was there a moment when you said, this is my candidate? Or was it a sort of accumulation of things that you saw on the trail that Pete had been doing?
2: Look, I, from the get-go, I always liked Mayor Pete, even when I, you know, I like raised money for for Biden and did some stuff for him early on. Even then, I really thought that um, I had a, a lot of admiration admiration for uh, Pete. But I think there are probably two things. I think, I think one, I think his team is his team is uh, hungry. Uh, they have the spirit of organizers. And I think that's why they performed as well in Iowa as they did, because, you know, I think his team spends a lot of time trying to figure out what people need and what people want and what's moving them. Right. And so I think people find that to be engaging. And I think ultimately the, de- for me, I think the definition of hope is of a 38 year old, same sex oriented mayor of a town of a hundred thousand people can, be the, uh, if he can win in Iowa and be the democratic nominee, I think that is the definition of hope. I think mean, that is what we want America to look like and feel like, uh, that anything is possible. Uh, and I think, I don't know when it happened. Right. But I was like, that's it for me. Uh, if, if, if he can do it and if he can fight through, uh, those challenges and, get his message out there and resonate with voters, I think it can inspire a new generation of, of, of leadership and participation.
1: So Reggie, tell, tell us a little bit about the events that you're going to, what you're doing as a surrogate, kind of what your um, events are like on the campaign trail, what kind of crowds you in particular are driving. Uh, give us a little bit of a feel for what a day on the life of the campaign trail is for Reggie Love.
2: Um, yeah, so I, have been all over the place. I've done events in, uh, South Carolina, six or seven different cities in Iowa, in Eastern Iowa and London. Um, and what I've really found is that, uh, for the people that know Mayor Pete, I think they, they find his message to be. Uh, interesting and it resonates with them and the people that don't know him I think are open to the idea of getting to know him Um, and I've seen the gamut and I've had dinners and spoke at town halls and done all sorts of different events where I've come across a whole range of people who are in on different uh, stages of how well they know Mayor Pete and when people get down into the details of what mayor Pete stands about, mm-hmm. uh, and stands for, I think people find it to be something they want to be a part of. Um, I'd say, uh, a lot of people have made the comment that, um, in certain demographics or in certain neighborhoods that, uh, Pete doesn't have support. And i found that to be, um, uh totally off i think that not only does not only are people interested in getting to learn more about Pete they they actually want to spend time with him um and they're like you know I've seen him on TV or I've read about him but I haven't had a chance to meet him and i look forward to the opportunity of meeting him um and and i think not many people not all candidates have are resonating with both Pete is across the spectrum, you know, and that is, you know, moderates, that uh, future uh, former Republicans, that uh, young people uh, across the spectrum, I think he's been able to engage with uh, a a broad uh, coalition of of potential voters.
0: Reggie, um, Pete's... uh, you know, his campaign has been remarkable. He's, uh, you know, he basically came out of nowhere. He did run for the DNC chair position, but you know, he's the mayor of a, a relatively small uh, town in Indiana. Um, he has not been a, you know, he hasn't been on the national, um, uh, in the national limelight like some of the other candidates who are running. And he's been, and you know, he has run a, a, just in a phenomenal campaign, um, doing so well, winning Iowa, doing very well in New Hampshire, raising all this money building this movement that you're talking about. But there is a glaring uh, weak spot for him right now that um, continues to sort of dog the campaign. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on what Mayor Pete um, wh- one, what is he doing right now to appeal to people of color and try to win them over? Because as you know, no one's going to be able to win the nomination. And certainly no one's going to be able to beat Trump without very strong, motivated support of people, people of color. Um, and that, that right now is a weak spot if you look at national polls for him and, and how he's doing in South Carolina. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on what is the campaign doing to sort of ch- try to change that?
2: I mean, look, I think that narrative has been going around, which I think is very weird. Um, but, like, let's just look at the data. Uh, if you look at Iowa uh, and you look at the port, all of the few elected officials who were African-American in Iowa, they supported Pete. Um, I'd say that in places where we're talking about from national polling and polling in South Carolina um, – you know, as a whole, um, as you guys are familiar, Mayor Pete has spent uh, had spent a lot of his time focusing on um, Iowa and New Hampshire. And having spent that time being focused on Iowa and New Hampshire, I think folks in South Carolina hadn't really gotten a chance to, to know him. Now, you can look at where they are now versus where they were a couple of months ago. Like now in South Carolina, he's got 55 staffers uh, across six different offices in South Carolina. You know, that wasn't the case two months ago, three months ago. Um, When you look at uh, the message around uh, Pete's platform and campaign, no other candidate out there is talking about systemic racism, right? Like I think it's the first time anyone on a national stage has talked about how uh, intersectionality and how historical issues across the country have disproportionately affected people of color. And I think when people start to hear and listen uh, to these arguments and to these uh, issues that Mayor Pete wants to address, I think people continue to to, to move to a side. Um, this argument that somehow like African-American voters won't vote for Mayor Pete for whatever reason, I find to be a bit frustrating and a bit um, a bit you know and I'm not, I hate to say this word, it's like a bit fucked up for black people, it's like making African Americans seem like they're homophobic or like, you know, somehow uh, 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 somehow we'll treat people differently because of, you know, who they are and and I would argue that You know, people who have those issues, I think they're not just black. You know, it's like saying there are people who wouldn't vote for Barack Obama because they were, because he was an African American. And I'd argue that if there's someone out there who wouldn't vote for someone because of some sort of predisposition that they already had, uh, those voters probably weren't people that were going to vote Democratic anyway.
1: All right, Reggie, my final question for you is what is your favorite thing to do when you're on the campaign trail that is not campaignish? What's your favorite like way to unwind oh, and sort man. of chill out? <laughs> As somebody who's been doing this for a long time. And please don't say like you're eating carrot sticks like Cory Booker.
2: Carrot sticks? Yeah, on,
1: he he his favorite comfort food on the campaign trail was um was vegetables.
2: I mean look, I think that's very healthy. I would say that <laughs> Me too. Uh not even while campaigning. My favorite thing to do, especially uh, when working in the White House, was to go visit McDonald's. And this is not like a Donald <laughs> Trump thing. This is more like it says a lot about a culture and a community in terms of how, you know, uh, in terms of what they serve at a McDonald's, how mm-hmm. fast the food comes out. The different, you know, in Japan you can get a hot dog, and
1: yes, in you
2: know, uh, Guadalajara you can get Doritos on a double cheeseburger. You can get a uh, salad
1: niçoise in Paris.
2: Exactly. <laughs> uh, I'd also say I I love one of my favorite things to do while on campaign is I love going to talk to people about local sports. Like the yeah. high school sports teams are my favorite. You know, going to see like who's playing like the Friday night football game and and Waterloo. Uh, it reminds me of my childhood. So I'm, I'm all I'm all about uh, local high school sports.
1: You're such a good dude, Reggie. We're so happy to have <laughs> you on the podcast today, Doug. Any other questions for you? Any final?
0: No, Reggie. Words? Thank you so much for uh, jumping on the electables. Good luck with uh, all the stuff you're doing for Mayor Pete. Um, No, thank
2: you very much, and thank you for having me on with you guys, Doug and Adrian. You guys are are crushing it out there, so and I appreciate you guys letting me come uh, spend some time with you. Uh, Hopefully, uh, you'll continue to have better and funnier guests than me on Ah. your show.
1: (laughs) No, you're you're one of our best ones so far, and we've had what like seventy five podcasts, I think. Yeah,
0: right right around yeah. We're honored to have you. Yeah, we're over eighty. Yeah. Uh, and good, and good luck in the tournament and, uh assuming you don't meet Maryland um although that would be fun uh i know you guys are 22 and 3 now so hopefully
2: uh yeah look we're not that good so uh, this anybody can win this year uh there there're not a lot of great teams and i think people with the teams that have good guard play which i think we do will will have a chance but um yeah, i i i would uh i would I would make a bet on on Duke, not because we're great, but just because I think competitively in the field, I think everyone's going to have a chance.
0: Yep. Yep. For folks who don't know, Reggie played ball at Duke. Uh, and then uh, after the administration, he got his MBA at University of Pennsylvania. So, um, uh, yeah. well, listen, well, thank, thank you. Thanks so much, and, Reggie.
2: Uh, I look forward to, uh, to, to catching you guys in person. And, uh, uh, hopefully my blue devils will will see your turps in in in, um, in March.
0: Yeah, definitely. All right, buddy, thank All you right. so much. All right, take care guys. All right, bye. For my partner in crime, Adrian Elrod, this is Doug Thornell. This has been the Electables and we'll catch you next time.